0: Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, March 22nd. We begin with federal politics and the announcement by the Liberal government of an agreement with the NDP, which will keep the Liberal minority government in power until 2025. We break down details of the agreement with Dwayne Bratt, professor of political science from Mount Royal University. Then we head to Ukraine for an update on the latest on the Russian invasion. We get a personal account from a Calgarian of Ukrainian heritage who is currently volunteering his time in the war-torn country, delivering medical supplies to those in need. How much is too much when it comes to exercise? We discuss the results of a new study on the topic with a doctor of kinesiology and physical education from McGill University who points to compulsive exercise as being detrimental to our overall health. And finally, in the latest installment in our series, Where We Live, on-air contributor Dave McIver looks at the history of one of Calgary's most historic buildings, a building that has been standing for more than 100 years, historic City Hall. Well, the Liberal and NDP government... Governments um, coming together, little liberals and NDP parties, rather, reach the so-called confidence and supply agreement that will keep the Liberals in power until twenty twenty-five. With insight into what this means, we are joined by Dwayne Bratt professor of political science from Mount Royal University. Wow, Dwayne, you went to bed last night, and uh, you know, not a lot on the federal government uh, side of things when it comes to news. And I woke up this morning to this. What were your thoughts?
1: Uh, this was a surprise. Um, we have seen. Uh, Minority governments at the provincial level sign these sorts of confidence and supply agreements. Most recently in British Columbia, between the NDP and the Greens from 2017 to 2021, we saw it in Ontario and Manitoba in the 1980s, but we have not seen this at at a federal level uh, before. Uh, We've had minority governments before, but usually what that government does is they tack one way or another, depending on an issue, try to get one party or two parties support. So this is, uh, this is a new development. Um, I'm also intrigued by what's in there, because the two big items are PharmaCare and Dental Care, which the Liberals have talked about for years and never done anything about, uh, and the NDP has tried to push them on that, well now it's, it's in an agreement that they actually have to start making progress on those two areas. So it's almost like the NDP is telling the liberals, we want you to do what you promised. And in extension, um, we'll have some stability in Parliament until 2025.
0: You know, it's interesting to me, uh, we found an article on globalnews.ca where, you know, he was approached, uh, Jagmeet Singh was approached and was uh, told and accused uh, that, you know, they were going for that coalition government. And this was going to be uh, something that's in the works. And he said, that's the rhetoric of uh, Aaron O'Toole. Here we are three months later.
1: This is not a coalition government. Um, it's not,
0: because Candace Bergen came out and was uh, you know saying the same. What, what would make it a coalition government?
1: If you had Jagmeet Singh in the cabinet. Uh, so, for example, in Germany, uh, the foreign minister of Germany is from the Green Party and the chancellor is from the Social Democratic Party. Um, that's what makes it a coalition in political science terms. Um But the conservatives like to use the language of coalition, which really became politicized back in 2008 during the prorogation crisis when Stephen Harper was facing a non-confidence vote because of an agreement between the liberals, the bloc, and the NDP at that time. um, And his government was about to fall. He prorogued it, called it a coalition of losers, uh, and uh, the, uh, the agreement fell apart. But ever since then, coalition has become a, a dirty word mm. in Canadian politics, particularly on the conservative side. They, they think it's illegitimate that two parties would work together in, in parliament, even though we don't elect uh, governments. We elect individual representatives who go to parliament to, to work together. And I think that's why you're going to hear the word coalition get thrown around an awful lot. But it's not a coalition. It's an agreement, which
0: is different. And, uh, you know, we didn't ask and uh, open up the question line for for you, uh, Professor Bratt, but we got this one question that comes in from Shauna. It says, can you ask Dwayne if he feels this is truly democratic, feels closer and closer to socialism to me?
1: Well, is, so there, there's two aspects to that. The first is, is this democratic? Yes, it is. Uh, because uh, Canadians elected 160 Liberals, they democratically elected 20-odd NDPers, and now those groups are working together. So they actually have a democratic mandate. Is it socialism? That's going to depend on the content of the agreement. And if you believe that pharmacare and dental care are socialism, then this is socialism. Uh, but then you would also have to say that, that health care and child care are socialism as well.
0: Oh, OK. It's interesting because I had a a texter who got into it with me and said, because I said, I I said to when I spoke with Shea Ganim earlier, I said to me, the fact that it happened uh, very late in the the evening period. And I said to me, it seems a little sketchy. And they they took offense to that. Uh, But for me, it wasn't so much. This, you know, coming together and the quote unquote propping up, if you will, and the NDP gets something out of the deal. I get that. But to me, it seemed like in the past when we've seen it again on different levels of government, it's kind of a Band-Aid solution to kind of get you across the finish line to not have a a non-confidence vote. Three years seems like a a lengthy period to me.
1: Well, it provides the liberals with certainty, but it also provides the NDP with certainty. Because you may recall in 2021, it was Justin Trudeau that called an early election um when he didn't have to he never lost confidence in, in parliament and so it doesn't just provide a three-year period for him it provides a three-year period for for jagmeet Singh. Mm-hmm. so you can see the logic behind the agreement within both sides it's not like the liberals signed on to something that they oppose i mean these are things as i've said that they promised to do they just haven't done um and The challenge is gonna be they're in provincial jurisdiction. So what is gonna be the reaction of the Kenny government? What is gonna be the reaction of the Mo government? What's gonna be the reaction of the Ford government? You know, we saw this battle over Mm childcare and Ontario still hasn't signed a childcare deal. Um, So if you've got the federal conservatives, you know, calling this illegitimate, calling it a coalition of losers, calling it, uh, you know, uh, a backdoor socialism, what's going to be the reaction of their provincial conservative mm-hmm. cousins on something that is in their jurisdiction.
0: Well, it will be, it will be a very interesting time over the next uh, handful of months. For yeah, sure. if
1: you're looking for more drama, yeah. <laughs> in, in one sense, less drama in Ottawa, more drama back in the provinces.
0: It will be interesting, we appreciate your insight. Thank you so much for taking the time, Dwayne.
1: Okay, you're welcome.
0: That is Dwayne Brad, professor of political science from Mount Royal University. Ukraine has been under attack from Russian invaders for 27 days with no end in sight. Calgarian Roman Yosef has been on the ground helping to deliver medical supplies around the country since Russia first invaded. Roman joins us again this morning. I joined us a couple of weeks ago as well. Good morning to you, Roman.
2: Hey, good morning, Andy.
0: Uh, where are you located uh, today, Roman?
2: Well, first of all, uh, good morning, my beautiful Calgary. And, uh, Andy, it's you. I missed you in my radio for sure. Mm. You've been my uh, favorite people in the morning to listen. Wow. Um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm located actually in Lviv. Uh, this is the v- vast uh, part of Ukraine, close to uh, Poland border. Uh, it's uh, probably like 70 kilometers from, from Poland.
0: And, and just to review for those folks who didn't hear you on the first time, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, about 14 years ago, you moved to Calgary and made Calgary your home. We're happy to have you. And you happened to be in Ukraine visiting family when things broke out when it came to the invasion. Is that correct?
2: Yes, exactly. Yeah, I came here with my uh, little uh, two years daughter and wife. And we just want to spend some time with families. And all this happened. And we had a chance to uh, evacuate, but uh, we thought uh, to stay and, and help uh, locals, you know, with, uh, with whatever we can.
0: One of your main missions is to make sure that medical supplies get where they need to be, get in the hands, and help to care for those folks who need them. Uh, how difficult has it been, uh, you know, since we last spoke with you? Are you still having the opportunity and success to get those supplies to people?
2: Yes, uh, actually, now the drugstores has more medical supplies than in the first a day, couple of days. Uh, they, uh, you know, they fill their shelves with uh, with the new uh, new supplies. And now I have a chance to buy more than I could in the first days. And luckily I have uh, more funds to, you know, to do it. And um, yeah, I can, I can, I can do a lot now. Uh, unfortunately, I guess, because this is the, you know, it shows me the needs of, of, uh, of the hospitals and stuff. Uh, where in the first days I was buying for like $1,000 and now it's $5,000 every day. Um so unfortunately but the increase in demand of uh, of medical supplies um is is everyday actually.
0: You mentioned uh, you know Roman that Lviv where you're stationed at this point it seems to be the, the best place but ha- have there been any moments where you've been concerned about your own safety over the past uh, 3 weeks plus?
2: Every time actually when you hear that uh, this arranges the, the air warning, uh we have to go to the to the basement we have the uh, actually I stay with my father-in-law and his house is uh, from 1970 no sorry 1925 or something so he has like a the the basement uh, survived through the second war and this is where we stay now with uh, like a whole family we get there and we can stay there for two hours with kids and everything and and just because we never know uh a week ago uh they dropped bom- bombs on um like 20 kilometers from where I am right now you probably heard that uh, the weapon ranch uh, where the NATO um, and actually Canadians uh, from Calgary were uh, for the peaceful missions uh, training the locals to uh, for the training for the for the missions so yeah there's, there's there's still the dangers actually everywhere what what are you hearing
0: I mean as far as you know the the attitude and the outlook of your fellow ukrainians that you come into contact with what are you hearing because it has been a grueling 27 days how, how how is the mood
2: to be honest with you i you know i would never stay here if i would if if i would hear that uh, that mood that, that enthusiasm and uh, and this uh, this willing to to survive and to fight for the freedom you know, because it always been the east and, and west of part of Ukraine. It always been like different, you know, like they always look of the different way of, of developed country. But today, every single person, as I would say, majority thinking about the one idea to to fight for the freedom to the death. And I feel it in the first day. And then that's why I'm here to help them. Um and yeah, I mean it's un- unbelievable. I can tell you, you know, at the same at same same time is is scary, but at the same time it's exciting because this is the history. Uh, this is the, how the history is building. That that's why I'm here.
1: What, yeah, yeah,
0: uh, you know, and I'm wondering, you know, as far as, um, you know, w- with with the, the with the mood, with the attitude of Ukrainians, and and, and being on the ground like you are in Lviv, uh, what are what are you hearing as far as the successes? Uh, that not only the Ukrainian troops, but everyday average citizens, you know, battling the Russian invasion as far as the progress that they're making? Are, Are you hearing that they're holding their ground?
2: Uh... It's just you know, it's just to understand what uh, what you're asking is are you thinking what's what the forecast or what the future you they, they think of or... Well,
0: at this point, we have heard that, you know some reports are that the Russian invaders have stalled out, that they had expected to take all major cities within a handful of days. Now we're twenty seven days in. um are you are you finding that, you know, the Ukrainians who are fighting, um you know, have some optimism as far as what they have done so far to keep the Russians at bay to a certain extent?
2: Definitely, it was a miscalculation from uh, from that uh, Russian leader. I don't want to even call his name because it's uh, it's awful. Uh, But definitely, it was miscalculation. You know, he was thinking that probably the second day people will welcome him, especially on the east part. But Kharkiv, the city that you know, like the closest to the to the Russia. And I have a friends actually from there and I communicate with them. They ready to take the weapon, even they are civilians, they ready to take a weapon or whatever, the cocktail molotovs, or whatever, to take just protect their land from the Putin, from the Russians. So you can imagine the eastern part of the from Ukraine of Ukraine ready to fight against the Russians and their aggression. So the, and then imagine people on the west side, how they are prepared and ready. Like you can you can walk on the streets and, and every single every second house has something, some present for the for Russians.
0: Wow! Incredible stuff. Uh, you know, we applaud what you're doing and uh, we appreciate your efforts to, to make a difference in Ukraine.
2: Uh, yeah, and I want to use this uh, this opportunity to say and send big love from Lviv and from in, from the Ukraine from everything what you guys are doing you know it's it, like i said last time it's it's difficult even to hold the tears because from what you what you do uh, the company i used to work uh, they sent a lot of funds uh, calling me every day asking what they can do everyone everyone in in canada and particularly my city calgary what you guys are doing here is incredibly without you the, it won't be that success there won't be that that fight for the freedom and independence so thank you so much from Ukraine. I will continue doing to, to do what I uh, what I'm doing mm-hmm. until until it will be freedom and I will come back to Canada.
0: That'd be great. We can't wait to have you, you back in Calgary, back home safely. Thank you so much, Roman.
2: You have a good, have a good day. You too.
0: That is Roman Yosifov, Calgarian volunteering to deliver medical supplies in Ukraine, his home country. Is compulsive exercise a socially acceptable prison cell? And is there an exercise sweet spot? Joining us to discuss is Laura Hallward, recent PhD recipient from the Department of Kinesiology and Physical Education at McGill University. Good morning to you, Laura.
3: Good morning.
0: Well, let's, uh, let's break this down, the study and the parameters surrounding it. Uh, when we use the term compulsive exercise, how do we define that? Is that more than hitting the gym a couple times a week?
3: Definitely. Uh, Compulsive exercise is really describing that mental, psychological relationship you have to exercise. So if you're someone that feels driven to exercise, you're obsessed with it, you have very strict rules around your exercise routine, and you feel like you might die without it, you might immediately gain weight without it. That's describing more that uh, compulsive exerciser.
0: Okay, so, you know, we, 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 within the study, calling it a socially acceptable prison cell, what do you mean by that? You mean that somebody doing exercise in excess is not going to be confronted by family and friends? Or, or, or how, how do we, uh, you know, wrap our head around that?
3: Pretty much. So, often exercise is completely glorified. It's the holy grail of everything, it's medicine, it solves all of our problems. So when we see people exercising to extremes and, you know, exercising every day, perhaps choosing to exercise over going out for dinner with friends or when you're super busy with a deadline and you still choose to exercise, people often praise you. They're so happy you're dedicating yourself to your health and you're choosing exercise and people find that sort of the best thing possible. So family and friends and co friend, uh, coworkers and everybody sort of praises you for that commitment to exercise rather than sort of saying, don't you think you should come out with us or don't you think your work deadline maybe is more important in this moment? Mm-hmm. So society and family and friends just continue to perpetuate the cycle and almost praise people for this compulsive exercise rather than stopping to question really what might be happening here.
0: So, Dr. Hallward, can you tell us is, is there some kind of a sweet spot uh, between you know getting the benefits of exercise, but not moving into that compulsive category? And, and how do we know we're there?
3: Absolutely, I think it really comes down to balance, which is that you know that special word that everybody strives for. But finding balance, you know, ex- it's not necessarily about the quantity. But if you want to exercise five times a week or even seven times a week, there's nothing wrong with that. It really comes down to Are you listening to your body? Are you completely running it into the hole? Are you choosing exercise over other responsibilities in your life that you should be doing? But if you can comfortably fit it in every day and you're taking a bit of time to rest, then that's fine. It really comes down to listening to your body and making sure you're not prioritizing it above and beyond everything else in your life.
0: Interesting conversation. I mean, it's interesting because somebody might be listening and not realizing that's them, or they might know somebody in this situation. Uh, we appreciate your time this morning, Dr. Hallward. Thank you. as Dr. Laura Hallward, recent Ph.D. from the Department of Kinesiology and Physical Education at McGill University and a part of the study. In the latest installment in our series, Where We Live, our on-air contributor, Dave McIver, looks at the history of one of Calgary's most historic buildings, a building that's been standing for more than 100 years, historic City Hall.
4: The Great Calgary Fire of 1886 burned down 18 structures in Calgary, and it led to a major outcome, a bylaw being put in place that all major structures within the fire limit must be built of fire-resistant materials, such as brick or stone. Sandstone became the building material of choice, and one of those buildings made of sandstone still stands today. Historic City Hall.
5: Construction on Historic City Hall was started in 1907 and it actually took until 1911 because there was a dispute with the builder for the, the cost of it. Um, the, the original estimate was 142000 and it almost doubled. So there was quite the discrepancy between the city and the builder on, as to who was actually going to pay for it. Uh, so that's why it took so long to actually build Historic City Hall it was very in line with what other western cities were doing in terms of their local seats of government uh you know kind of building that uh the, the romanesque style of revival architecture for historic city hall um and it's actually the last uh still Historic City Hall is still in use in Western Canada as a continual seat of government.
4: That's Heritage Calgary's Josh Traptow. And over the years, the historic building went through two restorations. But it was an incident in 2015 that led to one of the biggest restoration projects in city history.
5: A large piece of sandstone basically fell off of um, Historic City Hall onto the uh, platform of the LRT station. And it was through a notice of motion that the city realized that A, they needed to set aside money for a fund for city-owned heritage buildings, and B, Historic City Hall would make up a bulk of that restoration work. And then I believe in 2016, they then moved uh, council out and started the restoration. And then it started the work of, uh, you know I believe they touched or looked at every single uh, piece of sandstone uh, at Historic City Hall. They then had to source uh, replacement sandstone. There was a notice of motion by Councillor Cora at one time to look at you know, mining sand- sandstone within Congress city limits. They look into that and it, it was not feasible. So they ended up going with somewhere in the States and I think two quarries out, out of Europe. Where they could find past the foundation, it's it, it, it's one of the more significant city projects that the city has done in terms of restoration. That five years of restoration will give it another hundred years of life.
4: And the importance of historic City Hall still standing to this day in our city?
5: I, I think it's that symbolic piece of government that you know our city has seen so much change but we know that our council has and will continue to need in historic City Hall. The um, forethought of restoring historic City Hall in the 1980s uh, when it went through its last restoration and then its current restoration. uh, That 1980s restoration was really kind of interior um, restoration and and that was really done through a lot of community groups that donated money, raised money Uh, You know, that's why, you know, there's rooms in there called, you know, the uh, Calgary Power uh, Meeting Hall or the Legal Traditions Meeting Room. It's a symbol of Calgary, uh, and it's it's an important symbol. Um, You know, when when people come to our city and and they go downtown and they see Historic City Hall and the Administration Building and the Municipal Building all there in the Municipal uh, Atrium, I I think it's just a a sight to be seen.
4: For 770 CHQR, I'm Dave McIver. Where We Live is brought to you
0: by Furnace Family.
1: Done day or night, FurnaceFamily.com
0: Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast.
4: Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play or wherever you find your podcasts.
0: And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.